Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host Dr. Reed Robison and I give you a recap of our experience at the Meet Delic Conference in Las Vegas. Meet Delic is a conference for psychedelic wellness and business industry professionals, and it was awesome. <laughs> we had a great time down there. So I hope you enjoy our trip report. By the way, if you want to contact us about the show, you can email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. You can also find us on Instagram at Dr. Steve Thayer, at Innerspace Doctor, and at Novamind. Please enjoy. Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Dr. Reed Robison? Excellent. How are you doing, Steve? I am also excellent. One of the reasons I feel so excellent is we just got back a week ago now from the Meet Delic Conference in Las Vegas. That was wild. <laughs> it was. I, I left my voice in Vegas. It's about 50% back. Yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> at one point you could barely even talk. Yeah. It was, it was a great conference. So I thought today uh, we would just sort of debrief and talk about the conference a little bit. And um, it was probably the third psychedelic oriented like conference I've been to. Uh, and I'm starting to notice something about these, these conferences. They are a mixture of human beings that you will find that you won't really find other, other places. Like it's such a fun mixture of academic scientists, uh, medical and mental health professionals, psychonauts, old hippies, venture capitalists. Mm -hmm. It's, it's such a fun, it's so interesting to see that psychedelics have pulled people from all these different walks of life and corners of the universe, uh, united under one common interest. I love that about the field, the field in general, and you see it, feel it, experience it the most at those conferences. But mm -hmm. I love that we have not only these disciplines coming together, but like you said, all walks of life. There are so many people interested in psychedelics for healing for mm -hmm. consciousness, for uh, religious ceremonial purposes, and to get them all in the same room having a discussion or on the same dance floor is pretty cool. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, and uh, this was probably the most psychedelic of the psychedelic conferences I've been to. You know, the other conferences I've been to, there was uh, the Arizona Psychedelics Conference in mm -hmm. 2019. There was uh, Scepter, the, the Intermountain Psychedelic Symposium that we had here in, mm -hmm. when was that? Early 2020 or was it 2019? 2019. Yeah. January. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so these were more like your typical academic conferences on the topic of psychedelics. Although at the Scepter Conference, we did have the drum circle during one of the, the coffee yeah. breaks. Yeah. And the fun after party mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. tied to the conference. In fact, when I went to the MAPS Psychedelic Science Conference in 2019, no, that was 2018, the mm. fall. Um, Parengi was there oh, really? for the music afterwards. And it was like, it was a, a psychedelic experience just going to the entertainment after. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things I liked about uh, Meet Delic, the one we just got back from, is that it was at a very psychedelic venue. So it was at Area 15 in Vegas where mm -hmm. the Meow Wolf exhibit is. And you walk in there and it just, it looks like a psychedelic trip in there. Yeah, and I'd encourage everyone to look up Meow Wolf. And in fact, there's a documentary about it called 
the origin story mm-hmm. um, because this is a group of fringe artists that weren't uh, necessarily accepted into the mainstream art scene. They were in Santa Fe at the time, but they banded together and essentially created this venue where anything goes, mm. and it took off. Yeah, it, it is a crazy experience. Um, there's some fun videos on YouTube of the Meow Wolf experience because it's not just at one place, right? They have a Meow Wolf in Vegas. They have one in New York. I can't remember the other locations. Well, they just opened one in Denver. Denver. It started in Santa Fe, so I believe it's still there. Oh, okay. But I don't know how many they have total, but but Vegas is uh, Vegas is apparently a pretty cool one. I didn't go through the actual exhibit, but mm-hmm. the whole building was a trip. Um, yeah. But in the exhibit, you enter through this grocery store called Omega Mart, and then you go into these portals to essentially another dimension yeah. through the grocery store. Yeah, kind of an Alice in Wonderland experience. Yeah. Yeah, so another thing, the stage, the main stage, uh, the walls were all projection screens, and during every talk, constantly, there was some psychedelic artwork, like moving and boiling, so it felt like you were on three grams of mushrooms as you're watching the speakers, you know, and so they'd have the PowerPoint projected behind them, uh, surrounded by these, this psychedelic artwork, which I thought was so cool. It is. It's, it's a pretty neat reminder that you can have a non-ordinary state of consciousness by things like that, mm-hmm. uh, which we know of course, by breath work and, uh, you know, entering these different kinds of flow states. But, uh, that was neat to do that together in a conference. Right. Speaking of those non-ordinary states, uh, brought up, brought on by, non-medicine experiences there were some cool companies there at booths featuring uh i I forget what it was called but there was like a bed that had speakers in it and that would play music like through your body i have Um, one do you really need to try it's at my it's at my house uh it's called a vibroacoustic table oh yeah and you can pump the music in and it will like vibrate this whole giant pad you're laying on uh, in unison with the beats and the music. Um, and then if you, I've paired it with these light glasses or goggles that are, that will shine light even at say like a closed eyelid, Mm -hmm. um, to simulate visuals, or we've even paired it with uh, virtual reality psychedelic experiences. It's pretty neat. Yeah. There's an app on the Oculus quest called trip T R I P P Mm -hmm. that is, it's like a meditation app. It's supposed to it has some guided exercises in it, but it gives you really trippy psychedelic type visuals. Yeah. And they, so I met the founder of that at a clinical trials conference a couple of years back mm-hmm. pre COVID, but then they just acquired a local company, uh, led co-founded by a friend of ours, Sonny Strasberg, oh, cool. who, uh, is now part of the trip team and leading the psychedelic therapy education division. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, all these things are cool because they increase access to altered states um, that, you know, if unless you're doing ketamine in the States, are hard to access in a medical context. Do you remember trying that uh, virtual reality headset that was mailed to clinic uh, a number Sound of months something? ago? Yeah. Sound Self. Yeah. Uh, started by a brilliant guy by the name of Robin. Um, out of Austin, mm-hmm. and he had mailed us one. Uh, we met him at the MAPS conference that I was talking about, and people just love trying it there. But in that experience, you start with these 
Oculus VR goggles on, you start by sitting at the base of a tree, mm. breathing. But what he does is he uses sound, like toning. Um, it's like you're doing a bunch of continuous ohms. If you've ever done that in a yoga class, it's a trip of its own. But uh, And the experience responds to the sound and the more you enter into this state of like visual breath and sound, the more you start to float away, and eventually you blast off through the the ceiling of the regular default world into uh, like a tunnel of fractals. <laughs> yeah, when I tried it, it was it was pretty trippy, and uh, I. I I was at first a little self conscious that everyone could hear me going oh like, <laughs> <laughs> toning into this machine, um, yeah. But after a while, yeah, I kind of got lost in the experience. It was pretty cool. Yeah, we can uh, get in our own way sometimes mm. out of those fears of looking weird. Yeah, we do <laughs> deprive ourselves of uh, of some cool experiences. Yeah, yeah. So lots of cool people there too at oh, yeah. the Meet Della conference. Some some names that people in the space would definitely recognize. Um, I really enjoyed, uh, what was her name? Laura Dawn. I hadn't heard of Laura Dawn before. She was, she's kind of kicked off the first day, Saturday, shamanic life coach, Hmm. mindset mentor. She talked about psychedelics and creative problem solving. And I remember uh, some interesting feedback afterwards because hers was foundational stuff. Um, like reminders, it started out anyway with reminders about, you know, the importance of your mindset and setting intentions and, and then getting into those, uh, you know, creative possibilities. And I remember, uh, you know, a friend of ours remarking about how, um, oh, that was stuff I already knew, but then later on looking back on it, they're like, wait a second, I needed that in order to get what I did out of the next ones. Right. I think psychedelics are, uh, you know, uniquely suited to help us think creatively. creatively. Mm-hmm. Like some of the things that they do in the brain uh, kind of suggest that they would be, right? They, they create this crosstalk between hemispheres in the brain. They, they quiet the default mode network, which is responsible for our normal consciousness and our sort of monkey mind chatter. Um, and then they disinhibit us a little bit. So maybe we're willing to entertain certain types of thinking, out-of-the-box thinking that we wouldn't normally entertain. Yeah. So like you said, I think it was some foundational points, even if the talk wasn't as, I don't know, interesting for some. Yeah, I liked it. And uh, I appreciated uh, the content as a great starting place and a good, uh, I love that topic too, of the potential of psychedelics to enhance creativity um, because I do, you know, I have always been intrigued by that possibility of how it can kind of dissolve these, these structures, our default mode network structures that get in the way of certain neurons and pathways firing certain ideas and insights because of our deeply ingrained self-imposed limitations. You know, I probably said it on here before, but if you want to know what it's like to have a psychedelic experience, have a tea party with a four-year-old, mm-hmm. right? Where anything is possible, everything's magical. And, you know, I, and they have lantern consciousness, as you might call it. Uh, this broad, like, um, neurons firing, everything's uh, 
everything's wild and wonderful instead of our, um, you know, our focused spotlight consciousness as grown adults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really liked her talk. Um, I think, I can't remember the timing, but Dr. Molly Maloof spoke about psychedelics as an aphrodisiac and psychedelic treatment for couples or I think, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think she's working on developing a, maybe a microdose of something, maybe an MDMA derivative for um, sexual dysfunction for people with hypoactive sexual desire. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it was her on a clubhouse panel mm-hmm. back in the... I mean, Clubhouse is still around, but back in the... It was cool for about a month, yeah. The Clubhouse <laughs> heyday, um, there were some really neat discussions. And uh, I, I remember at the end of this panel, they were talking about uh, both kind of male and female uh, sexual dysfunction and anorgasmia and things like that. And I remember her saying that someone needs to develop a drug to help women with sexual dysfunction. And if no one does... I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty neat to see that she's involved in some pursuit around that that much needed area. Like yeah. uh, I think she points out that that men have, you know, Viagra and Cialis and these other interventions, but uh but in uh, for females there are l- more limited options or less mm-hmm. well-known options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for her. Super smart, super driven, creative. Uh, I'm excited to see kind of where she takes that. Yeah, that was a neat talk. I love how she went through uh, all the different substances, even obscure like ceremonial plant medicines that you may or may not be familiar with and how they might have been used for uh, different purposes like, uh, you know, libido or couples therapy or um, accessing higher states in uh, tantric bliss or whatever it may be. It was really fascinating. Yeah, it makes me think of the promise for MDMA in particular for couples counseling. Like yeah. MAPS is studying it for the treatment of, of PTSD. <clears throat> I remember in the military, we were treating really complex PTSD cases. They almost always did better when we brought in their partner and made it more of a couple's yeah. endeavor. Yeah, when when we talked to the old school um, MDMA therapists who were giving it back when it was legal to give it, uh, they really miss MDMA for couples work, and mm-hmm. I can totally see why. Um, but there has been one couples study done, sponsored by MAPS. It was more of an investigator-initiated study led by Ann Wagner out mm-hmm. of Toronto. She's super cool. She was my uh, small group leader in my MAPS training last year, and um, she led this study where they gave MDMA to both um, members of the couple where Mm -hmm. one had PTSD. And, uh, you know, when I heard that and saw the data, I was uh, just intrigued because I think like you were alluding to, the impact of one's mental health condition, such as PTSD, you know, has far-reaching effects within the family unit, especially in the couple. And uh, to see the ripple effects in a clinical trial like that, um, move through the the couple, the partnership, both of their lives is pretty powerful. Yeah. I think one of the things that makes psych- psychotherapy effective is that it, um, it's a place where a person can be seen, heard, held unconditionally, uh, validated. Yeah. And a lot of the problems in a partnership where, where one person has PTSD, 
um, are that they, they sort of shut off from one another, particularly the, the one with PTSD. And it's hard for them to feel understood, especially if it's combat related trauma, because a civilian doesn't understand mm-hmm. that kind of thing and scene. And so MDMA just has this wonderful way of allowing people to open up to one another and give the other the chance to see and validate and hold and understand. Yeah, no, it's because we can step on landmines so easily in couples work, right? And put your weapons up so fast. It reminds me of the Gottman work, right? Of both the principles to approach that kind of work, like a soft startup, uh, but the what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right. or things like stonewalling, for example, where, uh, you know, when those weapons go up, the productive session's over, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless you have ways of really productively um, putting your dukes down. Right. Um, and MDMA certainly, uh, it creates a whole new um, environment for doing productive couples work yeah it's coming folks it's coming mm-hmm. down the pipeline we're excited for it and we're we're prepping you know at Novamind to be able to do a lot of good work with these medicines doing lots of training and research and we will hopefully be able to meet the demand because <laughs> i think the demand is going to be high yeah for sure so a couple other presentations jesse gould was there from the heroic hearts project speaking mm-hmm. of ptsd um he wouldn't know me, but I've, I met him at the Arizona Psych Conference a couple years ago and uh, just love what he does. So that project is a nonprofit, 501c3, that takes veterans down to the Amazon to do ayahuasca ceremonies. Uh, I think they also go to Jamaica to do mushroom mm-hmm. retreats. And I think they've partnered with Imperial College at London to do a study on those retreats, specifically for veterans with TBI, with traumatic brain injury. Amazing. Yeah, love his work. Yeah, Imperial College, um, I assume it's still open, but they've had this survey study um, going on for quite a while that's really neat where they'll uh, give questionnaires to people who are seeking their own psychedelic experiences in in ceremonies, Mm -hmm. give you questionnaires before and detailed ones after. And they've been able to publish some really interesting things coming out of those. Yeah. Yeah, didn't Fadiman do survey studies? Yeah, on microdosing. On microdosing, yeah. I just remember him at the at the Scepter Conference, the Intermountain Psychedelic Symposium, talking about microdosing being, in his opinion, according to the survey data, the convenient sample, um, more effective than Adderall for ADHD, for example. Yeah, and I, uh, it's interesting. After we brought Fadiman out for that Intermountain Psychedelics Conference, um, we had some meetings. We developed, you know, a friendship with him and had some follow-up meetings on ways of collaborating. And I remember him saying, because we were talking about looking at his data and doing some more analyses or papers and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff I like to do. And he said, oh, I don't do uh, academic publishing anymore at this stage of my life and career. <laughs> I'm I'm tired of dealing with that. <laughs> you you can do it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I should uh, add the disclaimer that there have been recent microdosing studies with with uh, mixed results, mm-hmm. and there was a really interesting, like, self-blinding study, also out of Europe, with uh, some ties to Imperial College and other related institutions, where it was both uh, LSD microdosing and psilocybin that uh, 
those kind of studies are helping shine some light on the questions because, you know, the survey data points us in great directions, but right. we really need more solid kind of blinded perspective studies because microdosing has been one area that is just under-researched. Right. There's so many confounding variables that you can control for in an organized study that you can't control for when you're just taking convenient yeah. samples, right? In fact, as a clinical trialist, uh, psychedelics are fascinating and if they're paradigm shifting because you have this several-hour dosing session where transformation occurs. Mm -hmm. Like stuff we never would have imagined during training when learning about like the big five personality traits and seeing how like sticky they are. Mm -hmm. uh, when a psychedelic medicine comes along and all of a sudden you have significant changes in openness right. or thing or, or decreases in neuroticism. Yeah. And, yeah. and to be able to study it in real time without the 1 million confounding variables that might happen through the course of an eight to 12 week study when you're coming in once a week for measures to get your meds and you're taking a pill daily. Mm -hmm. um, it really is like Stan Groff said where psychedelics are like a telescope or microscope that give us this new incredible tool to peer into the human psyche to understand consciousness and the human brain in ways we just couldn't before. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, with the resurgence of research, we're really only starting. Like we're, we're just barely off the starting blocks. We're going to have a lot. Uh, we're going to have new indications for these medicines. Mm -hmm. We're going to have combinations of medicines, ketamine with cannabis, you know, MDMA with DMT or something like that. And then we're going to have new compounds, novel yeah. psychedelic compounds. I mean, Shulgin, uh, did a lot of the, the footwork, but we're going to have some, <clears throat> I think, really impressive new compounds coming out in a few years. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty confident that next year at some point we'll be helping some of these drug companies, biotech companies, do studies of things like IV DMT, where you're mm -hmm. talking about a 10 or 20 minute uh, dosing experience. So let's talk about one of my favorite portions of the conference, and that was Duncan Trussell. Oh, he's amazing. <laughs> Duncan Trussell's a comedian. Um, he's the host of the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. And um, he's just a wonderful human being. I mean, I think he is. I'm a fan. Never met the guy. But <clears throat> one of the things I like about him, apart from the fact that he's hilarious and that he's into psychedelics, is he's uh, self-effacing and honest. One of, like It's one of the things I like <clears throat> about comedians is they are the gadflies of mm -hmm. our modern culture. Oh yeah. Like they help us look at ourselves honestly. A laugh erupts from our subconscious when they say something that's true, that's taboo. Uh, some of the really good ones at least are philosophers. They, they know the human mind. Like sometimes I think the, the, the two types of, of people in the world, and this is gonna be super biased, but that, that really, really know the human mind are comedians and then people who study it, study yeah. the human mind. Like, philosophers, psychologists, scientists, or whatever. But comedians make it so much more accessible. Yeah, you know, certainly uh, more enjoyable. <laughs> I had a newfound appreciation for what you're talking about when Joe Rogan came to town and I went and listened. Mm -hmm. um, and he really did, uh, you know, show how, you know, there's value in being able to talk about anything to 
not take ourselves so damn seriously right. and to, uh, you know, just lay it all out there. Um, the, the beauty and the folly of the human condition all like explored in a lighthearted way. Yeah. And I like that comedians are rascals. And they're jesters, they're Lokis, you know, Mm -hmm. you brought up Joe Rogan, you probably, half our listeners are going to be like, oh, Joe Rogan's a terrible person. And then there are going to be Joe Rogan fans, like regardless, whatever. I I just love the, what you just said, like the comedians, um, help us not take ourselves too seriously, uh, regardless of what you think about their personal opinions. They're just people. So they're going to have opinions that you don't share, but, um, yeah, Duncan, one of the things he said, because you know there were speeches by medical professionals, speeches by shamans, you know, all, all kinds of people taking psychedelics really seriously as they should. And then Duncan said something like, you know, let's remember that psychedelics are also great for just unbridled hedonism. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're also just a really good time. It can be fun. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciated him saying that. That was hilarious. I first uh, learned of him. When Midnight Gospel came out, yeah. and there was this Netflix intriguing cartoon. cartoon on Netflix that uh, I remember watching with when my kids were present. And, uh, you know, I'm all for, uh, you know, kind of looking together at, uh, you know, things that might be considered taboo and opening those discussions with kids. Yeah. but. Um, it's a funny cartoon because some of those episodes can be quite gory, and I right. remember their jaws dropped at one of them. But but one episode in particular I will never, ever forget. Uh, uh, episode 8, I believe, um, where he's – it's taken from his podcast. Like, they all the are, is, right? Yeah. Um, but he's interviewing his mother before she passed away, and she was a, a psychotherapist mm-hmm. with, you know, Buddhist leanings, and they were talking about – the cycle of birth and life and death and just animated in this wild, weird way that is such a trip of its own. Yeah, I remember that episode too. And I'm, it was emotional for me. Like I'm laughing and then I'm crying. Uh, my dad had passed away, you know, a few years ago. And so I'm watching this knowing that his mother is now past. Um, and uh, yeah, just watch it, folks. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to it because <laughs> yeah. it's it's a special um, it's a special work of art. I think so. The, the perfect mixture of, of meaningful seriousness and absurdity. Yeah. And that's another thing I love about comedy is that, you know, if, if you're funny enough and you're expert enough at it, you can package some really, really important messages in this really nice uh, comedic wrapping so that it's easier to, to, to take. Mm-hmm. You can get points into places that other people can't. Yeah, and what I took away from that episode in particular um, was that, you know, even though there are these cycles of life where our human forms, you know, are born and live and then die, um, there's this love that remains. Yeah. I actually listened to his podcast this morning. He interviewed Jack Cornfield. He's had mm. Jack Cornfield on a bunch of times. Yeah, he's, I've heard some of those. Um but yeah, he ha- and he's just so vulnerable and raw and honest, uh, so relatable. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. He he went out and uh, met Ram Dass at one of the retreats Ram Dass did later in life in Maui, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so it's fun to hear about those stories too. Another comedian who's similar is Pete Holmes. Um, 
similar in the sense that Pete Holmes has, his personal life has been transformed by his experiences with psychedelics. Uh, somebody who also sat with Ram Dass, hmm. um, and his book comedy, sex, God is, is really good. Hmm. I like Pete Holmes. He, he, um, also super vulnerable, really public about his struggles with his own mental health. Um, and yeah, we'll link to his book in the, in the show notes, but it's, it's another good one, especially for people who maybe grew up in an Orthodox religion or an Orthodox spiritual tradition who are trying to find their way in their adulthood, having left that spiritual tradition or religion. Um, yeah, Pete Holmes shares his personal story with Catholicism and the, all the shame sort of residual shame from growing up in that particular religion. It's really, really cool stuff. Yeah, that's that's important stuff. And a good example of how you can really find some relatable insight through comedy when people share so openly mm-hmm. their own experience where you might not be able to talk about it with just anyone. Um, there's another comedian, and his name uh, has slipped my mind, you may know it, but he talked about how doing magic mushrooms helped him heal his anger issues. Hmm. Um, this is within the last. Uh, oh, last was that Bill months. Burr? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Bill Burr's hilarious. I don't know if he was on Conan. Yeah. Uh, when he described it, but uh, but it was really neat. So I've been following Bill Burr for a while, and you know, anger is sort of his shtick. Uh, he's the angry comedian. He's an angry dude. He's from Boston. You know, he's always talking yeah. about being beat up and getting into fights. And his his show F is for Family is a hilarious portrayal of those kinds of family dynamics. But um, it's been fun to watch him get more calm over the last few years. One because he had a child, his mm-hmm. daughter, and it, like to hear him, this angry macho dude, talk about his love for his daughter is just awesome. Yeah. And then yeah, well, he's had some psychedelic therapy. He hasn't lost his edge. He's still hilarious, but just more conscious. He has a special on Netflix. I forget which one it's called, but it's the one that's in black and white, and he's in front of a big church organ. And uh, he talks about his departure from religion. And <laughs> there's this one bit where he's, it was like, a, a, what's that uh, Olympic event where they have, they're on the ice and they curling. curling. Yeah. He's like, it's that cur- one of those creepy, cur- that creepy moment <laughs> in curling where you just let go of the stone and it keeps going, but you stop. And that's what it felt like. Just let go of my religion. It kept going, and I just stopped. <laughs> yeah, he's he's great. I love Bill Burr. Uh, and psychedelics, it brings up another thought that psychedelics and their um, this whole sensory experience that can come with it create such interesting visual metaphors for mm. the things we deal with in life and work through in therapy, like that curling one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So uh, part of Duncan's... Uh, so the, he did a live taping of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't. It hasn't been released yet, so you'll all get to hear what we heard when it comes out in, on the podcast feeds. But um, he had Aubrey Marcus on the panel, so Aubrey also spoke. For those of you who don't know who Aubrey Marcus is, I guess currently he's um, he's was the founder of the company On It. It was just sold to Unilever. It's a supplement company. They also do fitness um, equipment and plans and things like that. Alpha Brain is his flagship nootropic, which I tried, and uh, it gave me a headache and didn't help. (laughs) Sorry. Interesting. Apparently, a lot of people love it. I didn't love it. But, um, yeah, his his speech was good. He's obviously a a well-practiced orator, and he led us through a brief breathwork exercise. We did some – was it some ohms? Oh, we did – was it like the shared – 
tone thing. Was that him? Mm-hmm. Where we were all just made a tone, and then eventually we all got on the same wavelength. That was cool. Yeah. Cool, like, uh, oneness community building exercises. Yeah, I love those. He has this mastermind that he calls the Fit for Service Fellowship. <coughs> and to be honest, I'm not sure how I feel about Aubrey Marcus. Like, <laughs> I think his messages are often really, really good. He certainly has a devoted following. Um, but there's some judgment that bubbles up in me about him and um, the way he approaches... I don't know how much I want to get into it. Mm. But <laughs> get underneath the hood of this, Steve. This is this uh-huh. is a Steve problem, not an Aubrey Marcus problem. Every every public oh, yeah. person has fans, and they have people who aren't your fans. So I'm not going to say anything new about Aubrey. Um, but yeah, like I I I admire him in so many ways. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's a little bit of jealousy because he he talks a lot about mental health stuff, and he gives good recommendations, and he kind of this fit for service thing is is about being your highest self and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not a mental health professional. And I, I, I should, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to gatekeep because there, oh, there are yeah. people I know that I would rather talk to about my problems that have no credentials than a hundred different therapists that I know. So there's nothing magical about getting a license to be a psychotherapist that makes you like a, a magical person or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. He, he, I like him, but He's a mirror for something. Some kind here. of trigger for me. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's that's kind of fun to uh, sit with and look at. It's like, why does that person bug me, mm-hmm. even though they're saying some cool stuff? <laughs> yeah, on the drive home, I was thinking about that. I'm like, okay, this we often say on the podcast, triggers are friends to follow. I'm finding myself triggered by Aubrey Marcus. Where could I follow this trigger to? It was it was good. It's been it's been good for self reflection for sure. Yeah. No, I love I love that kind of personal work. Those yeah. are triggers or opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pathways to understanding. The obstacle is the path. Mm-hmm. Indeed, it is. Any other highlights from the conference read that uh, you want to share with our audience? Well, Lamar Odom was there. Although we talked about him in a recent episode yeah with, with the hemp lucid folks they were there by the way yeah the hemp lucid folks were there oh that was neat um during one of my favorite moments for whatever reason was when aubrey marcus was up on stage and he was telling a story mm-hmm. where he was uh sitting down with his wife and she got out this cbd bottle made by hemp lucid and hemp lucid had a you know, a really fun booth presence there, um, kind of sharing some of their products. And and he said that his wife handed him this, and instead of taking a little dropper, he drank like half the bottle. Yeah. And then they're just watching a show or something. And then all of a sudden he said, he's like, oh, no, I'm getting high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because in CBD, I don't know um, how much – we want to get into this, but there is a percentage max of THC, and therefore, if you had the whole bottle, you're going to get some THC, and CBD has its own interesting effects, like mm-hmm. thought to be more kind of body-based, f- for example. But here he's having this body trip and a little bit of a of a mental trip, and he said, so he turns to his wife, and she's sleeping, like sound asleep, <laughs> so he's like, oh, 
on my own on this one. And uh, what he said next was kind of funny. He's like, he had some ketamine lozenges, presumably by prescription. Right. And so he takes one or two. And uh, and he's pretty poetic, right? Mm-hmm. He's pretty eloquent and even calls himself a poet, writes mm-hmm. poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so his description of that experience was really neat. Like he had everyone on the edge of their seats. And I did see people... Um, kind of afterwards going for the hemp lucid booth and it was not a paid promotion. Like no. I asked, I asked, uh, you know, of course, but, but, uh, I just had to ask and, um, you know, our friends at hemp lucid were like, wow, we, uh, you know, he just came up to us afterwards and said, I have a fun story. I'm going to share up there. Watch this. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, that was really neat. Um, and also interesting to think about, uh, you know, the work you can do, like he was doing some body-based like fascia work with these visual metaphors, this full sensory experience when you're in like a ketamine state of consciousness, um, going in with whether it's another um, another substance in combination that we might be able to study someday, or if you're going in with a, a certain task at hand, um, the work he was doing on embodiment uh, and the way he described it was really fun yeah it was something about his jaw and being able to move feel the fascia move and loosen yeah. up and yeah like he could and and that is uh you know a hallmark of some psychedelic experiences like i remember when i was first getting to know ayahuasca mm-hmm. as a plant medicine um being taught by my kind of mentors teachers shamans um co-therapists that uh, sometimes you're just going to have a body trip. Like there are a couple main types of trips with ayahuasca, DMT. Um, it might be like a, a mental, emotional healing journey, um, or it could be a body-based one, and I've since realized that sometimes it's both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my first uh, ayahuasca experience, I've talked about parts of it, but uh, I remember my legs cramping up. This is weird. I've never had like spontaneous cramping of legs when I'm not like swimming laps or, um, you know, doing some kind of activity. Um, and also one of the, uh, members of the medicine team, one of the shamans came by doing some, some energy work that I'm not, you know, that immersed in like Reiki type practices, but, but just the, uh, the connection to energy, that you get on psychedelic medicines is fascinating, especially to me as a, a scientific skeptic who will admit, I don't understand everything about the world. Psychedelics like that, they've made me extremely open mm-hmm. to all the unseen things, but to experience it, uh, it's just fascinating. Um, and, uh, you know, the body-based healing the body connections that come through psychedelics i really am a fan of yeah it reminds me of was it james fadiman said at uh, the scepter conference about this yoga position he was able to get into that was, was it fadiman that was andy Weil. andy Weil, yeah yeah <clears throat> he tells a story of when he was at harvard back in the 60s around then sometime he was a little younger than ramdas tim leary uh dick alpert uh tim leary um and he was uh, experimenting with both Hatha yoga, first of all, and then he encountered uh, LSD, mm-hmm. I believe it was. It might have been mescaline, but I think it was LSD. And he was trying to get in this pose called plow pose, where 
Um, you're laying on your back, your feet go up and behind your head. And if you go into the full expression of the pose, uh, your feet touch the ground. Mm. I don't know if you can picture it. I could demonstrate it, but <laughs> we'd have to adjust the camera. Yeah. Um, and he could not get into plow pose in normal waking consciousness yet. <laughs> he does LSD and tries it. Boom, he's in it. Mm -hmm. He's like, wait, what just happened? The next day he tries it, could not get into it. But he's like, wait a second, that... I didn't make that up. Right. <laughs> I know I was tripping, but but that happened. And so next time he's in an LSD experience, he does it and receives this kind of confirmation. Okay, it is possible. <laughs> and something's going on where I'm getting in my own way. So he just inserted some diligent practice in, and before long, he had it. Um, it makes me wonder, because I mean, I'm not a physician. I don't know the hu human anatomy that well, but... I've heard people who do know it very well say that a lot of times flexibility isn't about the stretchiness of a tissue. It's about what your, what your nervous system will allow you to do or not. Like, yeah. it's about like your nervous system saying, no, you can't go beyond this particular range of motion because we're afraid of injury. Yeah. And a lot of times people can get into a deeper stretch simply by breath work, which doesn't lengthen your tissues. It just allows tissues to relax, allows something for your nervous system to say, it's okay, sweetheart, you can, you know, go beyond this particular range of mm -hmm. motion. Yeah, I've, I've experienced that a lot in yoga, mm -hmm. even without psychedelics on board, is uh, the ability to navigate, you know, carefully, safely, wisely, past those self-imposed limitations in our bodies, where, you know, with the right kind of approach, whether it's warm up or some set and setting components or some sequential process to, you know, relax the opposing muscles that might be just, you know, otherwise telling you, you can't go there. Um, it's pretty amazing to see how deep you can go even safely, um, by getting, uh, through some of those obstacles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, cool, Reed. Uh, I am excited for Meet Delic next year. You and I will be going to the Horizons Conference in New York yeah. in another couple of weeks. That'll be fun. Looking forward to that. Uh, and hopefully many more conferences. I think this is, like we said, we're just at the starting blocks. There's going to be a lot more opportunities if folks who are listening are interested to attend a cool conference like this. Indeed. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Reed. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. It means a lot to me. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Novamind, a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, suggestions, scathing criticisms, etc., please email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. Thanks again. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So if you would like to learn more about these trainings, 
You can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.